So uh, we're going to be talking today about John chapter 17. Um, and so as we get to, to John 17, uh, I've entitled it the Lord's Prayer. Now that may be a bit confusing to some people uh, because they're used to the Lord's Prayer uh, in a little bit different passage in Matthew chapter 6. And most of us know what we call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To thine be the glory and the power forever. Amen. And that's what we would think as the Lord's Prayer. But did the Lord intend that to be something that was given, that he prayed? Well, there's a little problem if that's the fact because it says forgive us our Trespasses. Did Jesus have any trespasses that needed to be forgiven? Now, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer was actually the disciples' prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And so Jesus gave us an outline to pray. And, uh, and that's a good outline. It, it, it covers all the bases. But Jesus, uh, in chapter 17... This is his prayer for his apostles before he dies. Okay? And Jesus certainly believed in praying often. We would see him slip aside. Most of his prayer was done in private. He would go up to the mountain to pray. He would slip away from the disciples, slip away from the crowds to play, pray. But the times that he did pray that are recorded are usually pretty simple Prayers, there'll be one or, two, one or two sentences. This is the longest prayer that's recorded in the Gospels in John chapter 17. And it only takes three and a half minutes to, to read it. So it's not an extremely long prayer, but it is a prayer that we can emulate, that we can take and learn what did he pray about. And if it's important enough for Jesus to pray about, or, or the way he prayed, do you think we should be incorporating that in our lives? Because if Jesus thought it was important to pray this way, then I think I want to get on board and pray the way Jesus prayed. Because, you know, he, he had a pretty good connection, right? So let's read John chapter 17, if you aren't there yet. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, so bear with me. And Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. <clears throat> While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that you may have my joy, so they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the Holy One, from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may themselves also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that, we, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For, I, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And all God's people said, Amen. That's an amazing prayer that Jesus gave. But one of the things I want to start out with is what's not in there? Did Jesus pray that they would be healthy? Did Jesus pray that they would not have tribulation? That they would not have trials? Did Jesus pray that they would have a nice house? Did Jesus pray that, that they would have safety in their travels? He didn't pray any of that. 
And a matter of fact, Jesus knew what they were going to face. He knew that all but John would be martyred. He knew these things, and yet he didn't pray for them. He didn't even pray that they would be blessed. What did, and the other thing that he didn't do is he didn't say, okay, let's all bow our heads and fold our hands and close our eyes. You see, God is more important, more interested in our attitude, our heart attitude, than he is in our position. He's not, you know, he's not interested so much in, oh, did you, did you kneel down or did you get up? What position were you when you pray? Matter of fact, probably the most, the prayers for me that have been most intense, I have been on my face before the Lord, literally crying out to God. You see, he's, he's more interested in praying to God from what he believes in and what his expectation is. And so we're going to look at those and see what Jesus was praying for. And the very first thing in the very first couple of verses he talks about, he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. The first thing Jesus prays for is salvation. He prays for our salvation. Now he says what? He prays for all flesh. He prays for the entire world. He prays that the gospel will go out because he wants to give people eternal life. That's what God's desire is. And he prays for our salvation. I I love the song we sang, sang today. He knows my name. You see, because one day... It was written down in his book. The day that I got saved, he said, he said, there it is, Ben Ashley. I don't know, he, he probably has his own name for me, I don't know. But he wrote that name down in his book. And he will never forget it. Because on a regular basis, what does he do? It says, he collects my tears when I'm sad. He writes those in his book. He's always with me. Did you catch that very last verse? In in 26, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He's in us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is in us. And he says, I'm praying for your salvation. And he's prayed for our salvation. And when the, the first thing that should be on our mind when we come to Lord in prayer, it's, okay, God, who needs to know you? Who needs to, who needs to know about your son. Salvation should be the first thing that we pray for. In uh, 
Yeah, we're on. Okay. And uh, we, I got a new clicker. I've got to figure it out now. <laughs> uh, it, it's faster than the old one. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. It's good and acceptable in the sight of God, and if it's good in his eyes, what should it be with us? You see, we kind of have this, this, this kind of problem uh, in the church in that uh, we get saved and we're so excited about being other Christians that, that we, we start just hanging out only with Christians. We get in, I call it the holy huddle. You know, we, we kind of only, and we forget, we got the good news. Every, everybody else needs the good news too. So I have to consciously make the effort to find people who need to know Jesus. Because that's what God says. He, he desires all men to be saved. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? That's an awesome verse. But guess who really needs to know that? We already have it. But God continues to demonstrate his love to the world so that they can come along too. That's why, you know, I, I see this uh, Wanus program coming up. We just had five, days cl- five day clubs here. Uh, the Child Evangelism Fellowship came and, and put those on. We had nine kids here. And, you know, uh, every day they got to hear the gospel. We had a couple of folks who, who, who sat through all of this. So even when you're 80, what, Bill? 83. 83. Even when you're 83, you can come down and help these kids out. Now, Bill was the garter of the snacks, but uh, we, we won't know how many came up missing. But <laughs> No, but, but Bill, uh, Bill's pretty good. Yeah, and, and Gene and Bill were there every day, every day right? Every day they were there, you know, helping these kids come to know who God is. Because that's the time when they're most acceptable to the, to the gospel. 85% of people in... Oh. Five children accepted out of, out of, amen? Five out of that nine. And, and I want to tell you, interestingly enough, we had a young lady here from San Diego. She lives in San Diego, California. Happens to be up here visiting family. They were at the Lynn County Fair and see the CEF folks, Child Evangelism Fellowship, had a booth and they were saying, hey, we're having a five-day club at Eastside. They came every day, brought her little girl with her. Isn't that awesome? We reached San Diego today, this last week. Because 85% of, of people from in the United States that 
profess Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, 85% of those will get saved between the ages of 4 and 14. Where, where should our focus be? Amen. We get those kids when, they, when the world hasn't started going, you can't believe that. You can't believe that. That's, you know, it's all a story. And not only does he tell us he doesn't, he doesn't pray for just salvation, but he prays for a no-so salvation. Did you catch what it says? Uh, <clears throat> it says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, God doesn't want you to have a, oh, I may be saved, salvation. He doesn't want you to have, I think I'm saved, or I'm working on salvation. See, God says you can know for sure that you're saved. 1 John 5.13 says, But these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may think. What does it say? That you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that something good to know? Amen. I have eternal life. I know it. God said it. It doesn't matter, you know, you can believe it or, or not, but God said it. I have it. That should end it. God says, I want you to know that you have, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, we've, we've talked previously how Jesus said, once you come to know him as Savior, you're in the palm of his hand, and no one can snatch him out of his hand. And to top it all off, you're also in the Father's hand, and he has you covered. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then to make it even better, he said, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity have you. Nobody can take you out of that. Not even yourself. In John 5, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has, what? Eternal life. Now, now, can you take that out? No, it's eternal. Does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. It's a no-so salvation. Now, occasionally I run into people and they say, well, you know, <clears throat> I'm really not sure when I got saved. And I said, well, okay, well, you know, tell me a little bit. You know, well, I always grew up knowing about Jesus, grew up in a Christian family. But I'm really not sure at that point. And I, typically, what I ask them, I say, have you been baptized? Oh, yeah, I've been baptized. I said, when you were baptized... Did the preacher ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you accepted him as your personal Savior? And what was your answer? Yes. And, and did you confess him as Lord of your life? And the answer is yes. Well, then you have a date. That you can, you can say, this is the date that I know for sure that I was saved. And you, you might say, but... but Pastor, I, that didn't happen for me. Well, I've got a baptismal pool right there. And we can set the date. 
And you can, when I was, when I was up at camp, I worked up at Camp Tadmore when I was in high school. And uh, one of the things we would encourage kids to do is, it, because a lot of Christian kids would come to camp. And they would be in that same pickle. I, I'm, I, I know I'm a Christian, I just haven't, I, I didn't have, I'm not like you. I can't tell you on Thursday night at the Bill Glass Crusade in, in, in uh, the Memorial Stadium, I knelt on my knees and I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I can't do that. I said, okay, I want you to take a wooden stake and I want you to write on it today's date and your name and I want you to drive it in the ground right outside of the, at, right here at camp and you say, today I'm driving the stake in the ground. Today's the day that I know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I watched hundreds of kids do that over time. If you don't know, let's drive the stake. It can be today. Amen. You can have a no-so salvation. It's not I worked for it. It's not I, I, I came from somebody else. I know that I'm saved, and that's what Jesus prayed for, a no-so salvation. Well, the next thing he prayed for was that the Father would be glorified by his death. Now, that's kind of hard, isn't it? That God would be glorified by, by death. But there, a lot of times, we, when we pray, we pray for what we want, Right? And Jesus is going to say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And a lot of times when we pray to God, what do we pray for? We pray for what we want. God, I want to be healed, but I want to be healed this way. God, uh, I need this, and I want it to come this way. But what if God, you know, we say, God, whatever, I have this dilemma in front of me, whatever it is. God, you do what will be glorifying to the Father. And let's just use the example of, of illness. Somebody, the doctor comes to you and says, hey, you got cancer. It's not good. And we're going to pray what? Well, God, God, heal this. And sometimes... God will get his glory through a miraculous healing. We have examples of that sitting right here in this auditorium today. And, and, and they, give, they give the glory to God because it was nothing the doctors did. It was nothing that they did. It was what God did. And they testify to that on a regular basis. But there's other people who God's going to say, you know what, you need to, you need to just hang on. I provided great doctors for you. I provided great people to come alongside you and help you through this, this cancer. You just, and you just need to stay the course. And God says, you know what? I'm going to be glorified through that because you're going to learn what I need you to learn. Sometimes that's patience. You know, when the doctor tells you, oh, you can't lift more than five pounds for six weeks. <laughs> and you're like going, five pounds, that's not very much. And so you have to have, let other people help you. And that's hard. That's hard when you're independent. And you want to have, 
But God says, hey, I'm perfecting myself in you. You're going to give me glory in the end of this. And it's, it also shows the world that at how God takes us through things, right? Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Because Jesus is with us through that time. And then God may say, you know what? I'm going to give you the ultimate glorification. I'm taking you home. It's time for you to come home. You're going to get a new body. You talk about the ultimate healing. God may say, you're going to, I'm going to glorify myself because you're going to be with me for eternity. You see, we need to pray that the Father is glorified. Turn, turn back just a couple of uh, chapters to chapter 12 and uh, listen to what Jesus says about this glorification. Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that, they, that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Amen. He, he says that the ultimate glorification is to the Father. Jesus didn't die on the cross to glorify himself. He said, Father, I want you to be glorified. And what's more glorious than bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to worship as we sing? What are we going to sing? We're going to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the ultimate glory is to stand or, or kneel or, or be on your face at the feet of the, of the throne and say, thank you, God. I'm finally home. He glorified the Father. Well, then Jesus shifts things a little bit and he begins to talk about our relationship to the world. He prays for our relationship with the world. And, and you'll see a lot of our, our, in the world and of the world and I want you to understand what, our, what God prays for with us regarding the world. First of all, we need to understand that God bought us out of this world when he saved us. You say, that's kind of, we bought us? Well, we're slaves to sin. When we're in the world, before you came to know Jesus, you were a slave to sin. Sin owned you. And Jesus went to the slave market one day and he says, I want to buy Ben. Ben's been, Ben's been under the, the, he's been a slave to sin for so long, I want to buy him. And he, but he's not cheap. He doesn't come cheap. We used to have a thing when I was uh, in high school 
it was called, we would have a slave sale at our church and all the youth and people would bid on us for, for doing certain things, right? And uh, Ben and Phyllis Cass, every year, would, would outbid everybody because you know what they wanted me to do? They wanted me to muck their barn. Every year. And man, I kept telling people, buy me. You buy me. You know, because I knew they had a riding lawnmower, right? You know, I'll mow your lawn every week. Sometimes we think we're, we're really valuable, but you know, Jesus really thinks we're valuable. Because in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the elders of the church, he said this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He bought us with the most valuable thing in the world, which is the blood of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that gave gave his life, shed his blood so that we could be saved. In Revelation 5, verse 9, the elders were standing there, and they said, who can open the book? And nobody could open the book except for one. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus bought us. And when he bought us, he didn't leave us to be slaves in the world. He said, you're now free. You're now a child of God. You've been adopted into the family. Amen? Amen. Amen. You, you no longer have to worry about being in the world. You've been bought out of that. Secondly, he tells us, you're no longer of the world. Now, what does that mean, to be of the world? You see, even though Jesus bought us out of the world, what does the world do? Come on. Come on, come on back. We don't want to let you go. We want you to, we want you to come back and, and, and do all those things you did before. We can, we're no longer of the world. Jesus bought us out of that. Now we can, we can choose to go back, to walk in of the world. We can choose to go back to the old places we used to go. We can choose to let, to let ourselves slip. Isn't that what the prodigal son did? He chose to go and squander all the vast things that, Jesus, that uh, the father had given him. And then he finally came back. He came back. But we're no longer of the world. Even though the world's going to tug at us, the world's going to call us out. He, they want us to, to come back. And we can say, you know what? I don't live here anymore. I, I, don't, I don't need to be here anymore because God has purchased me. But just because we're not of the world doesn't mean we don't participate because guess what? 
We are sent into the world. Did you catch that? Did you, did you see what he said in verse 18? And you, are, you sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. Remember I talked about those holy huddles that we get into? We can get ourselves so tied up in, in, in being in church and being in Christianity that we forget that God has sent us into the world. Jude says, he sent us so that we might even snatch some as though from the fire. Isn't that an awesome opportunity? Those who are so close to hell that you can smell it on them. Have you been there? I have. As a police officer, there, there are times when I'm like going, this, this person, sin is, is literally exuding from their pores. Because they've allowed Satan to, to just take over their lives. And then, and then they get saved. And what happens? God pulls them out of that and he cleans them up. And we don't clean them up. God does. Because I can't clean up anybody. But God can. And he can say, you know what? I sent you into the world Maybe it's for that one, right, Gene? One more. One more. We're going to rescue one. And once we get that one in the boat, we're going to go out and we're going to find, who's the next one? I'm going to rescue that one. He sent us into the world. And sometimes we have to make, we purposely have to get into places where we know the unsaved are. Because it's really comfortable to be around other Christians. But there are times when we need to make those connections so that we can witness with people. Matthew 28 tells us, go therefore, and literally what that says is, while you are going, while you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And lo... Who's with you? I am with you. Jesus is saying that. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us. He will not. He, he is with us as he sends us out. He's right there with us, showing us the way. Well, the next thing Jesus prays about is he prays that we will be sanctified by the word. That we will be sanctified if we look and it says, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So that you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Oh, man, that's a sanctification. That's a word we use every day, right? You don't use that every day? Well, welcome to my world. Sanctification, what does it mean? It means set apart, to make holy. Okay? And, and to understand sanctification, it's twofold. Number one, we are sanctified positionally. Hebrews 10.10 10 tells us, by this will we have been, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once, for all. 
When you get saved, positionally, he separates you out. He's written your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have a place in heaven. In, in John 14, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. You've got a new address. You just don't know it yet. You've got a new place to live. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and take you so that you will be where I am. Jesus has promised us, your address is already ready for you in heaven. Now, now I know it says that heaven's got gold streets and all that. I kind of want to be in a log cabin by the river of life. Uh, yeah, dirt, down a dirt road. You know, close so I can go fishing on occasion, right? But he has a place for us. He has an address already with your name on it. It's there. But the other half of it is we still live in a body that is, is not totally sanctified. We have a mind that we're working on, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we're working on that, and that's called progressive sanctification. And 1 Peter 1 talks about it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance before you knew Jesus. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy, be sanctified yourselves also in all your what? Behavior. Ooh, we got to act like Jesus. That's kind of a tough one, isn't it? He wants us to be like him. And also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. You see, God wants us to get more and more like him the closer we get to heaven. And the more we become like him, because one day we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Whether you're called up through the rapture or whether you die, God says, I'm going to give you a, a, a new spiritual body. And you're going to be like me. And when he does it, wouldn't it be like to just be a, a mini makeover instead of an extreme makeover? Right? Some people, God's just going to have to say, okay, this is a tear down and rebuild. <laughs> instead of this is going to be a remodel. We're just going to touch up a few things. That's what God's design for us is. To be sanctified. And that's how we can pray, right? Okay, God, today I'm going out into the world. I, I have to go to work, or I have to do this, or I have to do this. Lord, help me. Help my mouth. Anybody, anybody have trouble with their mouth? In the, right? Get out of the way! Why are you driving 72 in the... You know, right? We can have problems with our mouth. We, we can be unkind. I'm in a hurry. You know, Lord, help me. Sanctify my mouth today. Lord, sanctify my feet. You know, remember the little kid song? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
Be careful, little eyes. What you see? Be careful, little feet, where you go. Right? We, we sanctify me, Lord. And that's what he's talking about. Jesus is in me, right? Isn't that what he said? Jesus is in me. All right, Jesus, where are you and I going to go today? That I would, you would be proud of me. That's a, that's a pretty good way to think about it, isn't it? Don't go any place that Jesus wouldn't want to go with you. Well, the next thing he talks about is, he prays about, is for unity in the church. Isn't that interesting? As we look at, at what he has to say, he prays, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, are, are you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Unity in the church. Now that's not always easy, is it? Because every one of us have an opinion. Right? And we hold those opinions onto pretty hard, don't we? And we can have disagreements in the church. Did you know it's okay to disagree in the church? As long as at the end of the day you understand unity, we're all going to stand together in Christ. In Colossians, it talks about this. It says, Colossians 3, So as to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's you and me, we've been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Remember that word sanctification? It also means holy, right? Now listen to what it says. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is in a perfect bond of unity. You see, we can have disagreements with each other. As long as we understand at the end of the day, we're called to love one another. We're called to forgive, absolutely. So, so when you get ready, you know, you're, you're going to have a discussion with somebody. Here's what you need to dress like. You ever thought about this? Because what it says, put on. Put on. So when you're going to have that discussion with somebody that you don't agree with, put on, first of all, a heart of compassion. What does that mean? What? Understanding. Understanding from their point of view. You see, not all of us grew up in the same place. We come with all of our own different, different backgrounds. We carry all of our own baggage. No, we don't carry baggage in this world, do we? we all, and we need to understand that other people are coming from other places. So we're going to dress up with compassion, with kindness. Kindness, how we say things. Humility, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with one another. And, and as Scott mentioned, so, and forgiving each other. It's easy to take offense. And then we need to be willing to step up and say, ah, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Right? So he calls us to be together and as one, to be in unity one with another. The church will be known by its love, and that love comes from being able to put on the right clothes when we have those conversations, to adorn ourselves with all of these things. Pretty, pretty close to the spirit, fruits of the Spirit, right? It's a lot of them that are the same as in the fruits of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you working on me? And Jesus prayed that as a church we would be united. And that's not just east side. That's the big C, right? The big C. The church at large. September 17th we're going to be going out to the fairgrounds for, for the Day of Hope. And there's going to be all kinds of people that are coming there and they're not looking for a church. They're looking for groceries. They're looking for shoes. They're looking for services. They're, there's a lot of people that are going to come out there. And, and you know, there's going to be a lot of people from all different kinds of churches. And we're not going to be sitting there, oh, hey, you know, we're the Christian church over here. And this is the, this is the Holy Roller churches over here. And these are these other guys over here. You know, we're going to be the church because we're his body. And we're going to say, hey, we just want you, first of all, to be blessed. And then we want to show you how you can find Jesus Christ, who's the reason that we're out here. We want him to be glorified, right? Well, lastly, uh, Jesus prayed that we would remember that we will be with him in heaven for eternity. Notice what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see the glory which you have given me so that you, for you loved me before the foundation of the, of the world. I want them to be where I'm going to be. You see, it's not going to be too long for Jesus is going to go up to heaven and he's going to remain there, and he is still there until that time when what? When, when the trumpet sounds. When he calls and says, come on, come on home. And he wants us to remember that we will be with him in heaven for eternity. Now remember what I started with, with all of those things that Jesus didn't pray for? didn't pray for safety, didn't pray for healing, didn't pray for, for them to have a nice house to live in or a nice car to drive. He didn't pray for any of those things. Why? Because you know what? He said, one of these days, you can forget all that. You're not going to need all that. Matter of fact, you're going to leave it all behind. But you're going to have, you're going to be in heaven with me. And remember I talked about John, right? John was the only one of the 
12 that wasn't, uh, that wasn't martyred? Because Jesus said, you know what? I've got a book for you to write, and the only place you can write that is on the island of Patmos, so I need you to be banished there. When you're an old man, because John, I'm going to give you a glimpse of heaven. I want you to write the book that is going to be the glimpse of heaven that everybody needs so that they, when the times get tough, when, they, when you're standing there before, uh, before a trial and they're going to kill you, when that time comes, I want you to be ready. And so he gave John the words in Revelation. And this is what he said. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of the street, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bond servants, that's us, that's you and me, will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord has illumined them and they will reign forever and ever. You see, one of these days, we're out of here. And he says, when you're, when you're having that time in your life when you don't know what's going, the wind is pushing you and you don't know where you're going to land. He says, I'm with you. I'm in you. But I also want you to know that one day you are physically going to be with me in heaven forever. When your eyes get focused on the ground, it gets kind of scary. But when we're focused on, the, on God, focused on what's to come, we can say, we'll get through this. It'll be all right.